Thank you very much. Uh, the students here, how many people want to go into public service when they graduate? How many people want to go into government service as opposed to public service? How many people want to go into business? How many people want to be in academic life? How many don't know what they want to do? Okay. How many want to go into business and make money? Nobody? Okay. How many think that you shouldn't have to pick a, make a decision right now? You, you can be able to combine careers with public service and business. Okay. Um, for those who may not have seen the hands, uh, a lot of people said that they would like to combine public service with business, and that's what I've tried to do. Uh, let me give you a little bit of my own background and tell you how I've tried to do it and hopefully give you a few lessons in a few minutes about uh, what I've learned. Um, by background, I am not qualified to have been a student here. I would not have been selected to be in the academy. And some of you uh, may, may wonder uh, whether any of you will ever get to be up here as an adult uh, senior speaker as a member of the academy because uh, many of the people who are speaking to you are people who wouldn't have made it as students. So you have to say to yourself, um, <laughs> is my future going to be so great? If I was great at 20 or 25, am I going to be so great at 50? The truth is, what inspired me was that I wasn't good enough to be a, a, an academic uh, superstar as you were, and I had to work very hard to get where I am, and I hope all of you will, as you go forward, have the same dedication to get in the future where you are today. Uh, it's very easy to uh, rest on your laurels. All of you could coast the rest of your life on your, your laurels today. You, you will get jobs just based on being a Rhodes Scholar, a Marshall Scholar, or other things you've done, and you could take life relatively easily. Um, the challenge that you have is different than the challenge I had. I didn't have a Rhodes Scholarship or a Marshall Scholarship to fall back on. I had nothing to fall back on, and I knew if I didn't work to, to achieve something, I would really create nothing with my life. You have a challenge in front of you. You have the challenge of trying to do something as great in the next 25 years of your life as you have in the first 25 years, and it's a lot harder challenge than the challenge that I had because you can easily rest on your laurels. Let me tell you a bit about my own background. Um, I came from Baltimore. I grew up uh, the son of a postal worker. Neither of my parents graduated from college. Neither of my parents graduated from high school. If you're Jewish, you think your parents are always going to be lawyers or doctors, but my parents were not. And I was an only child. <laughs> I, I got where I got by getting scholarships. I got a scholarship to Duke and a scholarship to the University of Chicago Law School. I didn't think I had the wealth or the uh, charm or the personality or whatever it would take to get elected to something, but I was inspired by President Kennedy to go into public service. So I wanted to attach myself to somebody as an advisor because I didn't think I could be a candidate. And I attached myself to a man named Ted Sorensen who had been the brilliant speechwriter for President Kennedy. And I didn't think I could be a candidate like President Kennedy, but I thought I could be a speechwriter and advisor like Ted Sorensen had been. And I went to work for him at a law firm. And I, after a couple years, I went up and had the courage to say, can you get me a job working for somebody who might be president of the United States and I could coast the rest of my life as you're doing? Um, <laughs> um, so he got me a job as chief counsel for the next president of the United States. Uh, unfortunately, Birch Bayh didn't get, the, get there. Uh, so at the age of uh, 25 years old, I'm sitting on Capitol Hill thinking my whole career is over. I have nothing to do. My candidate, Birch Bayh, has lost the Massachusetts primary. He's dropped out. And then, as will happen to you, you get a call out of the blue, as many of you did to get here today. You got a call out of the blue. I got a call out of the blue offering me a job to work for a man who I had not really known named Jimmy Carter. And I went down to Atlanta. I worked there for three months. 
Uh, Carter got elected President of the United States. He wonders what my contribution was because he was 33 points ahead when I started, and uh, when, he, when the election was over, he won by one point. <laughs> so he began to wonder how useful I was. But nonetheless, if you work in a campaign, you might wind up in the White House staff. So I became Deputy Domestic Policy Advisor to the President of the United States at the age of 27, three years out of law school, a job I was completely and totally unqualified for. Um, he was unqualified for his as well. Um, <laughs> He'd only, been, he'd only been governor of Georgia for four years, so I, did, I kind of felt I felt in. I, I, I fit in there. Um, I was given the job of fighting inflation, as some of you are too young to remember, but I managed to get it down to 21%. Um, I was also in charge of energy supplies, and some of you may remember the gas lines in those years. The Republicans said when Carter was running for re-election that I was going to be promoted to be the senior domestic advisor in the second term of President Carter, and on the strength of that, Carter thinks he lost the election. So, as Harry Truman said, if you are uh, one of a friend in Washington, buy a dog, and I quickly realized what he meant. I was out of power. Uh, all the people who told me how brilliant I was and come practice law with them, they didn't return my phone calls. They still haven't returned my phone calls. <laughs> so I was an out-of-work Carter White House aide trying to sell access to the Reagan White House. So there weren't a lot of people who wanted to buy access to the, Carter, to the Reagan White House from the ex-Carter White House aide. So I was practicing law, but I wasn't very good about it, at it, and I wasn't very passionate about it. So I decided to do something that somebody said you couldn't do. And that is really what almost all the people that you are going to hear from today or yesterday did. They did something that somebody said couldn't be done. I decided to start an investment firm in Washington. There wasn't an investment firm of any type in Washington, uh, uh, like what kind I wanted. I, I recruited three people. Uh, I didn't really know them before, but they seemed like they were qualified, a lot more qualified than I was. They actually knew something about business. And I persuaded them I, could, I had the money. I didn't actually have the money. Um, I had to go out and get the money. I spent six months trying to get $5 million to start the firm. Um, it took me six months to do it, and finally we, we got the firm off the ground, and that was 1987. Today, the firm is the largest private equity firm in the world. We're managing close to about $45 billion. We've now invested about $20 billion over the years, and it's averaged 30% a year. So almost 20, uh, over 20 years, we've, we've averaged 30% a year, which is probably about the best track record in the world. We now operate all over the world. And what we try to do is find companies that are, that are not doing as well as they should be doing, make managers, owners of the companies, find new companies, new ideas, give those uh, entrepreneurs money. And we try to do this throughout the world, not just in the United States. We try to globalize the business and try to make private equity something that people around the world recognize can really play a, a really uh, valuable, or valuable role in the, in the economics of the world. Now, private equity is the largest single export of the United States. You might think it's steel, or you might think it's it's automobiles or other things, but actually the greatest single export dollar volume-wise is private equity capital. And as private equity goes around the world, it's really changing uh, the face of, of, of the economy around the world. People around the world who didn't think they could get money before are now getting money. People can now create jobs they didn't think they could create before. And it's really changed the face of, uh, of the economy, in not just in the United States, but changed the face of the economy in, in emerging markets, where increasingly private equity is doing things that governments tried to do before but really couldn't do well. Now, as I sit back and say, uh, it's very successful, the firm has done well, but I don't want to rest on those laurels because in the end, if you don't give back to the community that you are involved with, you don't recognize where you've come from, you're not likely to be very successful in the, in, in the way you look at yourself. 
in, in my own view, uh, I spent my early years in government service, not that successfully, as you probably heard. Now I'm trying to spend a lot of time helping people get back into public service because I believe that public service is a very valuable thing for people to do. And I'm sp spending some time and money now trying to encourage people to go into public service for an early part of their career. But I don't think you have to spend only uh, life in public service, only in business. I think you can combine them. And I think going back and forth is, is one of the most useful things and interesting things in life. As you've heard before from people who, who have talked to you, if you want to succeed in life, in my view, you've got to be passionate about what you believe in. And if you are not passionate, you won't, you won't really succeed. I hated practicing law, so I wasn't really good at it. I love what I'm doing today. I can't wait up to get up every morning and do what I'm doing. If you don't have that same feeling, you'll never accomplish anything really worthwhile. You also need to be af not afraid to fail. Uh, many of you and the young, young people here have never failed. Everything you've done has been perfect. If you don't fail in life, you're not going to succeed. In my view, you've got to take challenges and take risks. And if you don't fail, you're not going to understand rejection. If you don't under understand rejection, you're never going to be, in my view, uh, as successful as an adult as you were as, as a, young, a young person. So take challenges and don't be afraid to fail. I have failed many times in my life, and that is what made me keep going back and forward. If you look at the presidents of the United States, virtually every one of them failed uh, at some point in their career, and then they came back. And that is what I think is, is really a, a hallmark of success. I also think what is also useful is a little humility. Uh, too many times you read about people who are uh, acting as if they have accomplished the, the, the greatest things in the world, they've cured cancer or something like that. Um, the truth is very few of you are going to cure cancer or find the cure for AIDS. And I think you should, whatever you accomplish in life, have some humility about what you do because without humility you're really not going to be able to uh, act, interact with people in a, in a very positive way in my view. I think also, and as you go forward in life, try to maintain some sense of humor about what you're doing. Life is very complicated, and if you don't have a perspective and a sense of humor, I don't think you'll get through some of the tragedies that you might face in life, some of the failures, some of the rejections. Uh, I do think that the people here, uh, the biggest challenge you have is, is what I said at the beginning. How can you possibly do in the next 25 years of your life as well as you've done in the first 25 years of your life? And it's, it's easier for me to, to say that I didn't have the advantages that you had, and therefore that was what propelled me forward. Um, and I think it's true. Uh, my children have an advantage now of wealth, and that's actually a great disadvantage. Um, the greatest advantage I had in my life was not having wealth, not having wealthy parents, not having all the advantages that I thought at the time were really wealth, uh, really worth having. And I believe in your case, you have many of these great advantages now, but you need to take advantage of the situation and not just rest on your laurels, but try to accomplish something different. Take some uh, risks in your life. Don't just fall back on the easy way of saying, I'm a Rhodes Scholar, I'm a Marshall Scholar, I went to this school or went to that school. Try to do something that is really different than, than just uh, resting on your laurels. Because if you do that, given your brain power and your, your abilities, you really will accomplish something that I think is quite significant for the world. Uh, hopefully, many of you, maybe all of you, will one day be voted into the Academy as a senior person, not as a younger person. That's my goal for all of you. Thank you very much.